0: You're listening to Alamo City Limits podcast with Noah Magaro-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation.
1: What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah Magaro-George. That's my co-host, Damian Bartonic, And today, we're going to be talking about your San Antonio Spurs, but first... Dame, how's life been treating you? What's been going on, man? I know it's been a very long time since we were last on the mic together.
0: Yeah, man, it's been it's been a good minute. I have finals next week, right? I I have a move coming up here within the next couple of weeks. So it's it's been a lot of movement, man. Uh obviously my voice, I'm a little I'm a little sixky. Got a little got a little chest congestion going, but uh Robert going to do its job, man. We'll, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's hap- I'm, I'm glad to be on the mics with you as well, man. And uh, yeah, bro, let's, let's get into this.
1: <laughs> yeah, ju- and just so our listeners are in the loop here, we're recording this podcast on December 1st at about 10 a.m. Central time. And Dame, the Spurs have played 11 games since we last hopped on the mic. You've been sick. I've been sick. We've had some family stuff happen on my side. It's been a whirlwind and... Man, it's been a win for the Spurs. They're 1-10 over that span. They've plummeted to 6-16 and on the season. They've slipped to 14th place in the Western Conference. Man, I don't think that there's any real way to sugarcoat this. San Antonio is in a tailspin. I'm not sure that they're going to come out of it anytime soon. But having said that, Dame, what are your biggest takeaways? Or maybe just a couple of your biggest takeaways from the last 10 or... 11 games or so for the silver and black.
0: I think for me, one of the, one of the number one things is the fact of their defense is still horrible. And that's putting it lightly. I think whenever we first hopped on the mic, uh, the season, one of the first few times, uh, I thought a lot of their issues were, you know, they were they were expected because they're a young ball club that hasn't really played much together. A lot of defense, in my opinion, a lot of defensive, you know, tactics and schemes revolves around communication, and this group just, quite frankly, doesn't really have that. Right? They don't. They don't really know what they're doing out there for the most part. Respectfully, of course. And it, it, it's it's a little bit more than that, man. I mean, it's you would think on paper they have some of the athletes to kind of defend a little bit better along the perimeter, but athleticism doesn't always equate to better play. And we see that, man. I mean, this this entire team, uh, whether it's you know you want to bundle up a little bit with injuries, you want to bundle a little bit up with you know lack of communication and youth, they're just a bad defensive team. And um, I remember a couple of years ago, no, when when you and I were talking, a big point you were you always mentioned was, was like you know teams that have won the finals, you know defensively, you know where do you think they've ranked? And I I think like every defensive team or every team is ranked like in the top ten defensively, right? And, uh, this team ain't going anywhere. I don't care how good their offense is, uh, with, you know, arguably the worst defense in basketball. Before I kick it to you, I want to talk about one individual player. I'm not going to go with the player that everyone's thinking. I'm going to talk a little bit about Devin Vassell. I will say all of the Spurs have looked really bad. Vassell has looked, you know, quite good in my opinion. Uh, He's looked to have, you know, kind of really been a a, a kind of a shining kind of a diamond in what's been a really rough uh, patch of Spurs hoops. But overall, Noah, I think this team is they're looking all of the team we expected them to look. Let's just say that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. And we'll get into Devin Vassell in a a little more depth in just a second. But to me, I think there are three things that kind of all go hand in hand that have made this team so bad. At the start of the season. So we'll start with the first point I have here on the rundown turnovers and transition defense. It's been awful. They're committing 15.5 turnovers per game since the last time that we recorded, 19.9 points off turnovers for their opponents. That's 23rd and 27th in those respective categories in the NBA. They've also seen their fast paced motion offense just flounder. It's been bad, 27th in points per game over that same stretch, 24th in field goal percentage, 26th in three-point percentage. It just hasn't looked good. And with all those misses and them being so bad in transition, just not communicating, not getting back, it's encouraged their opponents to push the tempo off of those rebounds, right? They grab the rebound, they're pushing the pace, they know the Spurs are disorganized, they're going to take advantage of that. And then the last thing, and I think this is something that maybe, it, it may seem like a positive thing that They're top 10 in offensive rebounds per game. They're top 10 in second chance points per game over the stretch. But I'll be honest with you. This is my take. And I also know that Bruno Passos from Pounding the Rock, he writes with us there. He wrote about it in his latest article. But the Spurs are really good in offensive rebounds. But a lot of it is because they're selling out on the offensive glass. Right? They're sending three or four guys to go get an offensive rebound. They're, They're crashing the glass. And when they don't get those rebounds... Selling out like that has allowed opponents to go, you know, three on two, four on three, three on one, two on one on the break on the other end. And so, yeah, they're getting extra chance points, right? Second chance points, extra possessions, but they're selling out to do it. And it's allowing other teams to take advantage of them. And I think all three of those things go hand in hand in hand. Poor defense, selling out for offensive rebounds, Uh, you know, bad offense, right? They've been awful. So those three things together, all of them have really just packaged together to make this team really, really bad during this stretch. So I'll I'll toss it back to you. I want to hear your thoughts on that. But for me, that's kind of the the bottom line for this team is they they just that's where they are right now.
0: I would say, too, that like, you know, to some people, they might think, well, maybe Pop should kind of have a change of philosophy here. But I think you're kind of in a situation where you're damned if you do or damned if you don't, right? So the Spurs, they're obviously not very um, talented, <laughs> right, in terms of their, their 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 roster construction right now. Obviously, this was a rebuilding year. Um, so you got to, you know, kind of really play to your por- personnel. And defensively, they're bad in the half court. They're bad in transition. kind of doesn't really matter what kind of circumstance you put them under. So it makes sense for me to me why they're doing that, why they're crashing the glass and kind of really selling out for that. And obviously extra possessions, that's what you want. It's like in any sport, you know, in football it's creating turnovers, right? Or you can do go for it on four down or whatever the case may be to kind of extend the possession that you have. And in basketball it's the same thing. You want to do that that same exact kind of, you know, you want to have that same philosophy. But that does come with, you know, certain things that will hurt you and then the transition defense is one of those things right i think maybe you know as san antonio continues to grow and you know they add new players and new personnel as kind of we go into this rebuild maybe that'll kind of kind of change a little bit but as for right now man it's just it's one of those things of you're you're seeing a team that we all kind of expected was not going to be very good they started off really hot obviously they've cooled down significantly if this was a lasagna, man, all the edges are hot <laughs> and the middle is just ice cold, bro. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those deals. So, I think I think San Antonio, man. Yes, it's been pretty, pretty it's been pretty bad. And I want to dish it to you real quick to talk about probably the number one player everyone's discussed, Keldon Johnson. When we last recorded, man, he was there was top fifty player arguments, you know, being discussed, right? And he's he's cooled off like like nobody's business. Noah, what do you think about Keldon's play uh, up to this, or since we last recorded?
1: Yeah, he's San Antonio's best player, maybe not maybe the most important player, but he's certainly, you know, their their go to guy on offense, and he's been really, really bad during this stretch. So to me, it's no surprise that the Spurs are on a nine game losing streak, third longest losing streak in franchise history, longest losing streak since the year before David Robinson arrived to town, and man, he's just been. Flat out bad. I mean, you look at his numbers over the last 11 games, 16.8 points per game. You go, okay, that's not that bad. But you look at the shooting splits, 31.5% from the field, 28.9% from three, 71.1% from the free throw line. And I mean, we saw it last night too, 19 points, which you go again. Okay. That's not that bad. But on five of 22 shooting against the Thunder who didn't have any SGA, you squander a 20 point lead. And I hate to say it all starts with Keldon because, you know, it's not all on Keldon. The rest of the team has to show up. But when your best player doesn't show up like this for this long of a stretch, of course, you're going to lose games. I mean, they they need him if they even want to be competitive. And he just hasn't shown a lot of signs of life. So it's been really tough. And we'll get into some of the things he hasn't been too good at. But I want to hear your opinion on this as well, because I want to be fair. I don't want to just bash Keldon. I want to
0: know, am I being fair? Yeah, no, I think you're being really, really fair, in my opinion. I think what's interesting is that when we last recorded, I was like, Kelton's shooting is real, right? From three-point range, I think it's real. I think he's, you know, among, you know, one of the best shooters in the league, at least from a standstill perspective. And that has taken a significant hit, right? In October, he's shooting, you know, 43.5% from deep. In November, in 13 games, he's shooting 31%, right? From the field, he's shooting 35%. And what's interesting, too, is you said, oh, it starts and, you know, kind of ends with Keldon." I would agree because on the Spurs wins, he's shooting 46% from the field, 45 from three, 83 from the line. In their losses, 36%, 31% from three, 68 from the line, right? And the usage percentage is the exact same. It's 28% in wins, 28.6 in losses, right? The one thing that kind of sticks out to me when watching Keldon, um, especially when things don't go right, is typically, I feel like, us as humans and in life, whenever things aren't going right, we just kind of go to, we stick to what we know. We go back to what we, you know, what we're comfortable with. And you kind of see that tunnel vision kind of put the ball on the, on the floor, only look one way when things don't go right for Keldon. And that still, to me, shows signs of, hey, he's still a developing offensive talent and someone that, you know, if whenever the thing, whenever things get tough... He's gonna revert back to what he knows, and that's kind of aggressive, kind of bully brawler ball that isn't exactly the best <laughs> for not only himself but the Spurs offense. And I mean, it's it's just one of those things where you take the good with the bad, especially this early on as, in his offensive develop, development, especially as a player, you know, off the dribble. Because right now, that's something you and I have always mentioned, right? He's a really good standstill shooter. He's a really good kind of spot up and and. and I think as as a cutter, he can be fine, and you know, in transition, he's good. You know, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But in terms of off the dribble creation and stuff like that, he has a long way to go. And I think you're kind of seeing the both the good. You've seen the good and the bad of Keldon, uh, offensively thus far.
1: Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent accurate there. And one of the things that I want to talk about too is there is a difference between usage and touches. His touches have gone up recently. His usage has stayed about the same throughout the season. They've just changed how they've used him. So whereas before a lot of his stuff came off of dribble handoffs and transition, getting downhill, curling off of a screen, a lot of the stuff they've been asking him to do has been self-created. At the beginning of the season through the first 10 games, he only self-created about 28% of his offense. This now next stretch, so from the last time we recorded to now, they've asked him to self-create almost 48% of his offense and that's not really where he's at his best. So in some ways you can blame that maybe on they're asking him to do more than he's capable of. But I also think there's been a pretty noticeable shift in how teams are defending him. They're sticking to him like glue from beyond the arc. They're running him off the line if they you know on closeouts, they're forcing him to make decisions with the ball in his hands and just like you mentioned, he's reverting into bad habits and he's pressing. Right, You see him, okay, he's missed a few shots here, he's missed a few shots there, now it's in his head, and and it seems to be that, okay, well, if I just keep shooting, I'll eventually break out of the slump, and the more he shoots, the more he gets frustrated, and the more frustrated he gets, the more he reverts back to things, and one of the things that Matthew Tynan, who's a great follow on Twitter, you should go check him out, but had pointed out in some of his his film recently, is he's reverted back to one of the things you talked about, those sort of blinders on, not looking for teammates' drives, but two, The three ball, his form on that shot has gone back to that sort of moon ball shot where the arc is so high that the ball is leaving the frame on TV and it's coming back down. And I I, I certainly hope that this is mostly just mental, but it's been bad. I mean, there's no, again, like we talked about with the Spurs, but there's real no easy way to put this. You know, Keldon is shooting really poorly. He's gone ice cold from pretty much everywhere on the floor below 50% at the rim, below 30% in, in the paint, below 30% from mid-range, below 30% from above the break, below 33% from the corners. That's significantly below league average in every area of the court. So yeah, I, I don't want to make excuses for him again. Like, he's got to figure this out, and he's probably not an ideal go-to scorer. This is probably not his ideal role. But I do think some of it is, one, teams are figuring him out. And two, the Spurs are asking him to do more. They're asking him to experiment, and he just hasn't responded like they want. But Dame, I I don't want to just stick on the negative. We'll move to somebody else who we've already kind of discussed briefly, Devin Vassell. He's been a bright spot for the Spurs. So why don't you talk about him a little bit, especially over this last stretch of 11 games, and we'll, we'll, we'll get more into him because I do think he's been a legitimate reason for optimism if you look at the future for this team.
0: Yeah, oh 100%. And for me Devin Vassell was always someone that I don't want to say like like the the mystery, but more so like you like what he brings to you just from a from a kind of an archetype perspective when you look at, you know, his body, when you look at kind of his skill set. I've always mentioned that hey, no matter where the Spurs go as a franchise, Devin Vassell fits, right? And in the month of November, he's, you know, he's shooting 48% from the field, 43% from 3, 81 from the line at a usage of around 25%. I'm just really, really impressed with what I've seen. A lot of it, you know, really as, you know, uh, a creator with the ball in his hands, really. I I like what I've seen from him as a pick-and-roll ball handler. I like what he does off the ball, right? That Michael Bridges plus kind of, you know, archetype I've created in my head when I look at Devin Vassell. I like what he can do. He has the frame to get some tough buckets, you know, later in the shot clock as well. So I think Devin Vassell is really starting to shine a little bit, even though Keldon's kind of dropped off. Devin has looked really, really good offensively. Now defensively, uh, I'll let you I'll kind of kick it to you on that. Obviously the numbers aren't uh, nearly as good, but offensively is kind of where I felt, you know, most impressed and where I've really been focusing because if he has that self-creation potential and the ability to, you know, to create for his for others as well, well man He's a guy that could really kind of take that next step and maybe be, you know, a a a B or a, a C level kind of player. Once you have that, you know, that Wim Banyama or a Scoo Henderson or whomever you have as your centerpiece, he could really be kind of that second or third player alongside him. So I like what I've seen from Devin Vassell and uh, everyone knows I love him. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I love Devin Vassell, too. He's my guy. I was excited for him on draft night. I thought the Spurs got a steal in the draft. We can talk all day about, you know, the Tyrese Halliburton versus Devin Vassell, but just because, you know, Halliburton went before him does not make Vassell a bad pick. But if I'm being 100% honest with you, I don't really see it in terms of the self-creation. Like, he's a guy who's got a fairly limited handle. You look at his self-created offense, it's mostly off limited dribbles. You know, like one-two dribble pull-up, coming off of a dribble handoff, coming off of a screen, operating the pick and roll, you know, maybe at most, you know, five, six dribbles at most and getting to a spot in the mid range. He just... Doesn't put a lot of pressure on the rim. He's not a guy who's really creating for others at a high level. He's one of those passers who he's going to find you from one man away if you're open. But he's not really an advanced passer or making you know, advanced reads or has the most timely deliveries or reads the, the floor super well. So really like him, but I think I am of the mindset that he's probably at his peak. And of course, we'll have time to figure out where that is because the Spurs are rebuilding. We're going to see what he can do, but... I still think he's probably like the third best player, fourth best player on a championship team, but man, that's super valuable. I mean, you got to have that. Once you have the other pieces, it's like, all right, where do you find that guy? And the Spurs already have that guy, right? So I'm excited to see him, you know, looking more comfortable in the pick and roll. He's looked, you know, better coming off screens and stuff, but he's still really dangerous off ball, which I think is so important, right? He He's good off handoffs. He's good off cuts. He's relocating, getting to his spots. I've been really happy with him. And as you mentioned, he's flashed some of that, you know, tough bucket getting, uh, you know, at the end of a shot clock. So you need that, you know, regardless if it comes off of a bunch of dribbles and you're going side to side, or it's just, you know, a couple dribbles and you're elevating over the defense because you're just longer and you've got that, you know, high point on your release. Like, you know, it doesn't really matter. But as you mentioned, it's been the defense that's been kind of iffy for me with, with Devin this season, really happy with where he is offensively, but I want to be unbiased. I want to be fair. So we'll talk about the good things, and we have. But defensively, he's letting his opponent shoot 52.8% this season. That's 7.2 percentage points above, you know, what's expected efficiency for the type of shots that he's faced this season. And look, some of it's increased matchup difficulty, some of it's more offensive responsibilities, but he just hasn't really looked like that ball hawking, you know, free safety kind of off-ball defender that he looked like at... Florida State, and you know, part of the two seasons that we've seen in San Antonio, just been a, a different level of defender this season in a bad way. But I'm not that concerned about it. Are you?
0: No, I honestly, I see. For me, not really. I think um, once you kind of better, once they get better as a, as a unit, maybe with some different personnel, uh, maybe the more they play, I think those numbers will kind of kind of shift a little bit. Because uh, I do think he has a high defensive IQ, especially off the ball. I think he can really be that free safety, like you mentioned. Uh, I think he has good anticipation skills as well. So uh, he's someone for me, man. That I'm not too worried about his defense, but at the same time, this whole team has been bad on defense. And and if you're if you're done with Vassell, we can go right into Jakob Pertl, who's I I love Jakob Pertl. I'm a Jakob Purtle guy. But you know his percentages, are, you know in terms of rim protection, have also dipped. Uh, he's logging you know the fewest blocks per game since joining the Spurs, and opponents are shooting you know over sixty eight percent against him inside the restricted area. I love Jakob. I don't think this is all. You know I don't think this this one number it means that he's no longer an elite rim defender. But I think it's one of those things of when everything's burning, when everything's going down, that's another thing that's going down with it. And uh, I think this this team is just so bad defensively everyone's numbers look pretty bad <laughs> and Jakob's included right i'm really curious to see what they do with Jakob. kind of switching topics on him because i know brian windhorse has mentioned that he could possibly be you know a trade candidate and obviously um you know the cba limits how much the spurs can you know offer him in a deal but he's someone that i've always mentioned that kind of like vassell wherever you go he fits your timeline he fits what you want to do so I would personally, you know, offer him the extension of like the Jared Allen ilk, the five-year, hundred million dollars, and they're gonna have plenty of money to do so, Noah. But that's kind of my my spill on on Jakob at this moment. I understand the defense isn't nowhere near as good as it, as it has been in the past. i also think that's kind of a product of the team in general. But it's 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 been it's been rough, man. You know, it's bad, Noah, on defense when Jakob Pardo isn't even looking great uh, according to the numbers.
1: Yeah. And, and again, like, I think a lot of it, some of it is on Pirtle, but I do think a lot of it is there are so many breakdowns and he's the last line of defense at the rim. We've talked about in the past how most teams operate under a no middle scheme and the Spurs are pretty much happy to let guys go right down Broadway, get to Literally. Yaka Pirtle. And, and like, you know, if he's the last line of defense and he's having to guard his guy and he's having to, you know, try to make up for mistakes from other guys and of course his numbers are going to look bad, right? Like, because if you're the last guy between the basket and and the guy who's attacking the basket, you're the one who gets credited for defending that shot, not the guy who allowed his man to get all the way to the rim and now you're the last line of defense. So, like, of course his numbers are going to look worse. Of course his blocks are going to be down. But I did want to mention just, like, briefly, he has been better on offense this season. He's taken more responsibilities, He's been that facilitating hub from the high post, from the elbows, from the top of the key. Man, he's fifth in passes, sixth in assists, tenth in touches among all centers this season. He's attacking the basket, he's reading and reacting knowing, okay, if I don't have a guy immediately, is my guy flat-footed, I'm going to attack the rim. He's looked better. I'm not going to say like he's a Joel Embiid or he's even like a Jonas Valančiūnas, like he's not, but he's been better this season. He is valuable wherever you go. And as you mentioned, you know, the Spurs probably aren't going to be able to sign him to an extension. You know, like Brian Wernhurst reported that they just aren't close to a deal because of the way that CBA works. There is only so much they can offer him. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent unless they trade him. Should they run the risk of letting him walk for nothing? I I agree with you. Yeah, I think they should because they're going to have all the money in the world to match whatever deal comes across the table. And, you know, we'll see how much that is. But he's too valuable to me to, to just go ahead and say, all right, like right, let's get him out of here. Because I think he facilitates that development. We've talked about it, right? Excellent screener, makes up for others' mistakes, good short-roll passer, can be that playmaking hub from the you know high post area. I mean, there's just so many things he does well that are valuable to the development of other players on this roster. There really is no reason to let him go. And as we transition to the next guy, he's sort of been like... Training wheels for this team too, if you will. So Trey Jones, he's my guy. I love him, but I'll let you talk about him because it's it's been an up and down season for him. But I think there's a lot of value into what he brings to the table, even though he's not an elite point guard.
0: Yeah, I've always mentioned, and I love, I just love it. A lot of a lot of Spurs fans loved it too. And I said he's kind of like a chicken alfredo kind of basketball player, right? No matter where you go, you know it's solid. It's not, you know, the best. Are there obviously better dishes out there? Of course. At the same time, though. You know what you're getting. It's very consistent. And I think we still see that. Now, you know, from the three point line, he's still kind of he's still it's still not all there, right? In the month of November, he's shooting twenty-nine percent from deep. You know, from the field, he's shooting forty-three percent from the field. It's been kind of kind of an up and down kind of kind of shooting, you know, uh I was about to say shooting career, but it's <laughs> shooting a season four for Trey Jones. Uh but as a passer, he's still doing great things, right? One hundred In the month of November, 109 assists to 28 turnovers. Uh, what is that? 3 to 1, 4 to 1 uh, assist turnover ratio. He, he's, he's a really, really solid player, averaging about 8 assists in the month of November. I think if, if, if your expectations were realistic, you should be pretty happy with what Trey Jones has given you, right? You knew the shooting was always going to be something that kind of held him back. But I think as as a defender and as as a passer, as someone that can really funnel your offense and really kind of you know give your offense some structure, some much needed structure, and be that game manager, you know, use a football term, Trey Jones is giving you just that. And I personally like what what I've seen from him. I also don't think he's you know the point guard of the future, but I think he maybe be the he maybe could be the backup point guard of the future. Most definitely.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason he can't be. An, and look like we've talked about it. He's not perfect. Like we're, we're not sitting here saying he's the future or he's infallible or he hasn't contributed to them being bad, but I do think he's contributed to them having some degree of success on most nights. Like, where would the Spurs be right now on the offensive end without his steady playmaking, without his dribble penetration? Like, he just gets the ball to guys in their right spots. And Dame, I know this doesn't really matter that much. DeJounte's in a different situation. Steph Curry is obviously an MVP candidate, but he sits ahead of DeJounte Murray in assists per game and right below Steph Curry in assists per game. Like, that's that's good company to keep, especially for an offense that's really, really struggled. Like, they've struggled with him, but they've struggled even more without him. We saw it in that Golden State game that he didn't play. They were awful. They got blown out. They've of course been blown out with him, but they just look at least like respectable when he's on the court. So, man, he he again, like has he been shooting the ball pretty poorly? Yeah. Like he's been in a pretty massive slump over his last 10 games. But you look at the Lakers games over the weekend, you look at the game that happened last night, 19 points, 23 points, 15 points, averaging almost 8 assists per game, shooting better than 55% from the field. Like, he is valuable. He can go on those little tears where, okay, he's playing well, and the Spurs look better, and they're competitive because of that. And so, again, not like a franchise point guard. He is not a superstar. He's not an all-star. He's not even a fringe star. But I think he could very much be like his brother Tyus. And if you have a Tyus on your team when you have all the other parts in place— that is such a valuable thing to have a guy who can just be that floor general, gets you into your offense, can be a good spot starter, can keep the second unit running. I like Trey Jones. I think they should hold on to him. I, You know, and I, and I know that not everybody's in love with him, but I think another thing that we've seen, and I'll let you talk about this, but with him being the only ball handler, natural point guard on this roster right now with Blake Wesley out, I think it's pointed out a lot of holes. So what do you think about that? I mean... <laughs> Is Blake Wesley gonna make a difference when he comes back?
0: Man, I actually love that point because for for a while I feel like I've I've uh you know you as well but other people I feel like it's been kind of underrated was the ability to really create off the dribble hasn't really been something that we've had to see uh, as an issue we you know for 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 very long because you know you had DeMar DeRozan even with Dejounte Murray right. You know, he was he had the ball in his hand so much to the naked eye, right? You were like, man, you know, he could he could create a lot of things for you. But San Antonio has had issues with off the dribble creation and really just being, like you mentioned, an advantage creator. And it seems like Trey Jones is probably your best guy at doing that, and he's not very good at that, right? Blake Wesley could potentially give you that, but I think San Antonio just needs kind of more of those modern guards that can really create those advantages can have some scoring gravity and they're not very easy to find obviously but in this draft in particular especially where they're going there is a possibility right there's there's a pretty strong one at that so I think for me offensively the issues that I've always kind of said the Spurs have had even when they had DeMar and DeJounte they're coming to light even more so but it's not at all a bad thing because I still think they have some they have some pieces that can really kind of mesh well once they do get those guys.
1: Yeah, and one of those guys is Jeremy Sohan, and we're we're talking about point guard play. Greg Popovich has let him play a little bit of point guard, right? He's had a longer leash than maybe some people might have expected. He's getting away with a lot of mistakes, but he's also learning on the fly, right? He's getting a chance to learn and just work through those little warts in his game. So, Dame, what have you seen from him recently? I mean, we have a few points here on the rundown, and I think they're both maybe giving him the credit he deserves while still being honest that he hasn't been perfect. Like he just hasn't been the best player, but he is
0: still showing some strides, right? Yeah. So for me, here's, here's going to be my take. And some people, uh, I know it's, he's a hot topic, right? It's Jeremy Sohan and kind of what he's given you. I think if you came into this, this season, really focusing on the fact that he's very versatile defensively, uh, that he can, you know, do a lot of things for you offensively as well in terms of versatility. If he can, you know, he can pass the basketball, grab boards, high energy. I think Jeremy Sohan's everything as advertised. In terms of the shooting, the shooting was always bad. He I mean he, he has he, he has a long way to go in terms of being a shooter, a competent kind of average NBA three-point shooter. But with that said, you know, he's shooting, you know, in the month of November over 47%. The free throw percentage has has gotten better from October to November, from forty percent in October to sixty percent in November. So obviously he's still well below average, <laughs> but it's better. No, it's better. We're, we're, progress, yeah. progress is progress. progress is progress. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think I think offensively, it was, the, the the questions were always: Can he become a reliable shooter? Right. Obviously, no, not right now. He's nowhere near that. But as a passer, I think he's I think he's all that you you advertise as a defender. I think he's all that and then some. And I think from an energy perspective, he's there as well. I think a lot of people, you know, they see, see him picked at number nine and they're like, hey, he needs to be this, that, and the third, right? The expectations are automatically there. But when you kind of watch this guy in, in college and kind of read up on him and stuff like that, you figured, you knew that, hey, he's not gonna be, you know, insert ex you know, player, right? He's not gonna be Clay Thompson at number nine or DeMar DeRozan at nine. But he can ha- he has his own role that as I just went on that tangent previously about Trey Jones, once you get guys that, you know, can be your your option A and option B, Sohan, your Trey Jones, your Devin Vassell, your Keldon Johnson, your Yaka Pirtles fit and mesh beautifully with that. And I think that's what Jeremy Sohan has showed thus far. Yeah, I mean, he's figuring out how to get these
1: points within the flow of the offense, right? And in, in his first 10 games, he scored in double figures, I think it was two or three times. In his last 10 games, he he scored in double figures seven times. So he's figuring it out. And like, he's not a prolific scorer. He's not going to, you know, take you off the dribble too often or, you know, beat you one-on-one with his, you know, dynamic handle and then pull up off the dribble. That's not his game. You know, he's going to get, you know, points in transition. He's going to cut to the rim. He's going to crash the boards and try to put back, you know, misses from his teammates. That's his game. And like you mentioned, like it's going to look better once the other pieces are in place. Of course, that may take some time, but he's not a flop. He's not a bust. It's way too early to be talking, oh, you know, this was a bad pick. If you knew what he was coming into the NBA, you didn't think he was going to be you know, 20 points per game, 18 points. per. That was never his game, and it wasn't going to be his game in the NBA. Uh, as far as his defense goes... Man-to-man, really impressive at times, right? He held LeBron to 4 of 11, forced him into three turnovers during his possessions covering him last weekend. Uh, He held Dame to 2 of 7 shooting, and then he held him scoreless in crunch time, even though it was a close loss in in the end for the Spurs. But he's had his moments. I also think he's looked every bit of a rookie. Super jumpy, foul-heavy. Missing rotations, not necessarily communicating in transition like he's looked bad, like legitimately bad at times, but the flashes of that on ball versatility switching across positions, suffocating guys who, you know, are legitimately good off the dribble scores and to the point where they're like, okay, I can't get past this guy. I got to kick it out. Let's, you know, run the offense back. Let's, you know, run a new play. He's done those things. So I've been happy with Jeremy. I don't want to bash on him at all. I don't want to bash on any of these guys, to be honest. Uh, But I do want to be fair with them. I want to be unbiased. I want to tell the truth. I want to tell, you know, what we're seeing. But I think those are the players who we should cover. There's not really a lot of other guys who deserve one, you know, one-on-one time with us. So we'll keep things moving. We'll discuss the latest news about the San Antonio Spurs since we last dropped a pod on, I think it was November 9th. So, Dame, we'll start off with the first thing. We'll keep it quick. Former team psychologist Dr. Hilly Cawthon announced via her lawyer, Tony Busby, that they reached an agreement out of court with the Spurs, with Josh Primo as well, to resolve the lawsuit against both parties. R.C. Buford released a statement. I have it here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Basically, the gist is that they admitted that, you know, there were some things that didn't go perfectly. You know, they could have done better. They want to keep their good standing, their good reputation, and they want to work directly with... Dr. Hillary Hillary Cawthon and some other experts in her field to have better practices if something like this were to ever happen again. So, you know, they admitted their wrongdoing. They're going to try to make, you know, good on that. Uh, I I don't know if you have any other, you know, thoughts on that. Josh Primo and his legal team didn't say anything. They remained silent. He's still unsigned. I don't know if you have thoughts on it. I don't have a lot, but if you do, I wanted to give you a chance.
0: Yeah, I don't really have much to say other than. I just hope, you know, her, you know, Dr. Cawthon's, you know, recovery from this. I just hope everything, you know, she's able to battle through this and move forward. That's all I have.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I I I think that's the appropriate thing to say, right? You hope that she comes away from this better. You hope the Spurs learn from this, like legitimately learn from this experience because, you know, to admit wrongdoing and, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, we, we just we messed up. I think that's. Maybe not like they don't deserve an applause for that, obviously, but it was necessary. They had to do that. So I'm glad that they have this behind them. And I hope that Dr. Hillary Cawthon, like you mentioned, just makes a, a, you know, a quick recovery in her career, uh, her mental health and everything like that. So we'll, we'll keep things moving here. Zach Collins. I think he's kind of your guy. I like him a lot as well, but he finally made his return for the Spurs in that back-to-back against the Lakers over the weekend, suiting up for the first time since he suffered that non-displaced fibula fracture in a matchup with the Clippers on November 4th. I think he's actually looked pretty good. What what have your opinions been on him?
0: Yeah, I think I think for me, one thing that that like I always liked about Zach Collins and you see it interesting enough he, he he did a little a little MMA elbow a little it, it, it was it's a legal elbow too according you know if he's in the octagon <laughs> it's a legal elbow that cut Russell Westbrook yeah he got a flagrant too it was uh it was a little rough but overall man he's playing with that energy that kind of makes Zach Collins Zach Collins he's one of those players that when he's on your team you love him when you play against him you probably hate him and I think that's what he looks like right now kind of a scrappy player uh you know he's averaging eight point seven and a half rebounds during the two games you know, that he's played. And, and I, I think for me, Noah, I'm happy with what I've seen from him. I think, yeah, he he's all of the player that's as advertised. And qu- quickly back to Sohan real quick. I just wanted to mention it because we are, it's World Cup season. There's games going on right now that, you know, we're not watching. Do you think Jeremy Sohan go, roots for Poland or do you think he roots for England or do you think he roots for both?
1: I think he's like fully on board with Poland. Like, because we know okay. he was not born – in Poland and he didn't really like spend virtually any time like growing up there or anything. But I think he has like those strong roots tied to his ancestry. So I feel like he's definitely rooting for Poland. I've never heard him say anything about like the UK or Britain or anything like that. Right. Like never heard him say anything about them.
0: Hey, shout out to the U S men's national team. I I got I got to give a quick shout. got to give a quick shout. But, but, but yeah, I do. I, I do like what I've seen from Zach Collins. And like I said, interesting enough, man, before I kick it to you, He's a big MMA guy, right? He and I were talking about MMA <laughs> off the air like crazy. And uh, it was pretty funny seeing him hit, hit an elbow. But uh, I'm glad everyone's safe, though. I don't I don't condone violence.
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're not saying that it was, like, good for him to hit Russell Westbrook. It, ju- it, it just is funny in the circumstance that, like, he loves MMA. He threw one of those rough elbows. It looked like an MMA yeah. fight out there. Like, Westbrook was gushing from the forehead. And, like, thank God he's okay. I'm glad he's fine. You know, they got in, like, a little scuffle. I did think though that that elbow was really like kind of his only blunder. Like the only reason he even elbowed him is because he got caught in the air on a pump fake. He didn't want him to get that shot off, so he comes down hard to try to stop him from getting a shot off. And it just was an accident, right? He, he said it was an accident. He, you know, I, I, and I trust him, right? It didn't look deliberate. The only thing I can say is like it hurt the Spurs in the moment, right? Like Jakob Pertl, Jeremy Sohan, they had already both exited the game with quad injuries, so he was kind of like your only. Real front court player outside of Charles Bassey, who has been pretty good, but obviously is not as good as Collins, so it left you shorthanded. Like, you know, it wasn't intentional, but had he not left his feet, there's a possibility that he stays in the game. Maybe the Spurs win that game. It's neither here nor there. I mean, that, you know, we're talking about something that has already happened. We can't change it, but. I want people to take away that Zach Collins has been good and he has been one of the reasons that they've been competitive when he's on the court because he's provided a guy who can pass the ball, shoot the ball a little bit, rebound. He's scrappy. He's got the energy. He's good in transition. He does a lot of things. So shout out to Zach Collins. Hope he continues to stay healthy. I think he can be a real asset for this team moving forward. And of course, I think this kind of leads us directly into the Jakob Perdle and Jeremy Sohan news. They joined What's already been quite a lengthy injury report for the Spurs this season. And San Antonio left them behind for their pit stop against Oklahoma City Thunder last night. And Dame, <laughs> this is hard to believe, but that means now that Zach Collins, Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham, Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott, KBD, Isaiah Roby, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Jeremy Sohan, and Jakob purtle That's 13 players missed multiple games due to injury. In the month of November I mean again I don't want to make excuses for this team but it's really hard to build synergy chemistry when the guys in your lineup are basically a carousel you have no idea who's going to be in the lineup in the first unit in the second unit the starting lineup on a day-to-day basis that's just a really hard thing to adjust to
0: yeah and for a team that you know, especially defensively, a lot of that is much, much needed. It kind of makes a little bit more sense of why they're so bad defensively. And you know, Jakob and Sohan—they're going to be silent for about a week. They're going to miss the Suns and Pelicans games that are already really tough matchups for this team. So unfortunately, I don't think the Spurs are going to, you know, crack the uh, the the losing skid uh, over these next two games. But hey, we'll talk about we'll talk about one of those matchups a little bit later. But Oh man, Noah, it's, it's been, it's, it's a little crazy in the Alamo city and the countdown city. It's a little, it's a little crazy with the injuries.
1: It has been really rough for them. And even to the point where, and, and this leads us right into the next part of our, our show here is Alizé Johnson was signed by the Spurs, right? One year, $2 million contract, kind of what it felt like as a last resort to give them some sort of front court depth. And of course they had to waive Jordan Hall to, to be able to bring him onto the team. Now, like, he, he may not be the sexiest player or, like, a super high potential prospect or anything like that. We'll be honest, right? 26 years old, combo forward, undersized at both forward positions. But, hey, you know, 22.2 points per game, 10.5 rebounds per game, 3 assists per game on basically 60-40-80 shooting splits in his six games with the Austin Spurs. I mean, they could use anything, right? And we saw him play his first game last night, two points, three rebounds in his Spurs debut. It wasn't anything spectacular, right? Like, he was just out there, kind of like a warm body almost, but, man, they, they just need someone out there. And and, and to, to be... I'm not trying to be mean to him, but, like, this is what it's come to for the Spurs, where they have so few healthy bodies that now you're calling in Alizé Johnson to, to actually play NBA minutes for you. So, oh, I mean... It's been a rough season. It has been a rough season from a lot of standpoints.
0: Yeah, and if you would have told me entering this year that in, you know, on December 1st, you know, you if you would have told me all these players have been injured and the Spurs, you know, they they've had to sign Alze Johnson and kind of all of this has been happening, I would expect the Spurs to be exactly where they are right now. Not only has the encore performance not exactly been great to watch, uh, but the injuries have also played a huge part in it as well. And, and and there's a there's a little piece you have here on the rundown that I'd like to get your opinion on. You say that you would like the Spurs to potentially take a two-way flyer on a guy like Sharif Cooper. I tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about because I I'm actually on board with that. So yeah, tell me a little bit about a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I mean I
0: I'll be hundred percent honest with Spurs fans here. Sharif
1: Cooper was one of my guys in his draft class. I had him fifteenth on my big board that year. So I thought he was deserving of at least like fringe lottery consideration. He's an excellent passer, he's got elite court vision, right? He passes guys open. The problem with him has always been, can he score? Can he score efficiently? He's super undersized. He doesn't defend. So if he's going to be that Trey Young archetype where he's an offensive engine, but so bad on defense that he has to be an elite one to make a difference, how does that work, right? Because he's not a Trey Young level shooter or scorer. But what I do think he can provide the Spurs is that stability of having a ball handler, a decision-maker, a guy who can get dribble penetration, who can find guys, pass guys open. Like, he has been really good, right? I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I believe he played 11 games so far with a Canton charge. He's not on a two-way contract, so they could sign him to a two-way contract. And the way that that would work would be they would have to probably waive Alizé Johnson— convert Charles Bassey to a full-time standard contract, which I think he's deserving of at this point, and then use that last two-way. But Sharif has averaged in those 11 games somewhere around 26 points per game, nearly seven assists per game on like 50, 40, 80 shooting splits. Like, he's been legitimately good. Like, he's not going to do that in the NBA, but having another ball handler on the roster I think would be really valuable because we still have no update on Blake Wesley. Like, I expect him to come back soon, because the timetable for injuries like his, that grade three MCL sprain, eight to 12 weeks. We're getting close to the end of that timeline, but the Spurs haven't provided an update. So we have no idea when he's coming back, they might as well take a flyer on a guy who is still very young and could potentially, you know, at least give them something, give them something to hold on to. So I don't know, man. I I know it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but I'm excited for Sharik Cooper. I like him. It would be nice to see another ball handler on this roster.
0: Yeah, that actually that and that makes me very excited. I want I want this. I want this for you, but it also it, it gives you it gives the Spurs another guy that can really be you know give this this offense some structure, and they're all for structure. I mean, you need that right now with a young ball club like this that can't. Romeo really use...
1: Langford was running point guard last night. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I love Romeo Langford. You know he's one of my dudes as well, but he's not a point guard. Like no. they've run out of guys who can facilitate the offense and like that's not a you know throwing shade on anyone on this roster that's just being transparent looking at who you have and going yeah they're not a facilitator they're not a ball handler and that's okay like
0: they need someone exactly exactly and I would be all for it man I I think I think closing out here we have we have one last thing to kind of leave y'all with and the Spurs they play the Pelicans on Friday night little Friday night smackdown and Unfortunately, I think the smack might be laid down on San Antonio, but there's a couple of things you got to watch for. In particular, I think the number one thing for me is how will the Spurs slow down Zion Williamson and the Pelicans in the paint? The Pelicans are fifth in points in the paint this season. The Spurs are 28th in in, uh, opponents uh, points in the paint per game. That's going to be a battle. Uh, and especially with no Yakapurl no Jeremy Sohan, which man, I would love to see Sohan on Zion Williamson, that was super exciting for me, kind of look you know you know before the year kind of circling that on the calendar, yeah, we won't get to see that today or or tomorrow rather Friday whenever this drops, but this is gonna be a matchup where you might see San Antonio really i mean everyone's going to need a foot in the paint right it's going to be it's going to be an intriguing matchup and i think those the, the that's probably the number one thing i'll be looking for
1: and how do you stop zion williamson right like if we're talking about points in the paint we'll go to our second of five things to watch like he's not even 100% back to the player he was before he had that jones fracture in his right foot that kept him out all of last season but the guy's still averaging like 24 points per game and he's figuring it out like over his last 4 games 26 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists per game on 68.3% shooting. He is the most efficient rim attacker in the NBA over that span. And if you, you know, broaden it to the entire season, he's number two in attacking the paint off drives in terms of field goal percentage to only Giannis Antetokounmpo. The guy is impossible to stop. And I just don't know what you do because Dame, and this brings us to our third point, if you pack the paint, to stop Zion Williamson, New Orleans will punish you, right? They're going to punish you. They're fifth in the NBA in three-point percentage, in large part thanks to the fact that there are seven, you didn't mishear me, seven players who are shooting above 40% from three. And the Spurs, they're dead last in three-point defense this season. So it just feels like one of those matchups that, like, even if you stop Zion, right, he has become a good enough playmaker and not to mention, you know, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum, who we'll get into in a second. All these weapons that they have, like they have a lot of three-point shooters. They have a generational talent, a guy who has immense gravity going to the rim. I just don't know how you stop that if you're San Antonio.
0: Yeah, and, and I think for me too, man, it's one of those things where this team, this Pelicans team is so well built, in my opinion, they have off the dribble creators. They have people who can dominate in the paint. They're really efficient defense. They're the fourth most efficient defense in the NBA. And with a team like San Antonio, that's you know 29th in offense. I, I, I don't see how. In I, in in football, man, i um, to make a reference. You just control the time of possession and that gives you the best shot to win. In basketball, in this game, with with between these two teams. I have no idea what San Antonio is going to have to pull out. You know, what rabbit they're going to have to pull out of the hat in order to beat this Pelicans team, especially if CJ McCollum's coming back because McCollum has had the Spurs number in years past. How the heck is this team going to defend CJ McCollum, you know, allowed on the perimeter with, you know, already an injured, you know, a very injured team, a team that's already not very good on defense? It's a rough, rough matchup for the Spurs. One of the roughest matchups uh, that they could have drawn on Friday night.
1: Yeah, I just... And and I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I think we're both just trying to be realistic and look at, like, who's the opponent in front of them? Who do the Spurs have available? We know that Jakob's not going to play probably in this game. Same thing with Jeremy Sohan. So, I I just don't know what you do. And, like, maybe you hope that CJ McCollum is, like, kind of off-kilter because he's missed, like, five or six games because of COVID. But, like, we've also seen guys come back from COVID now, you know, after you know, a lot of these guys are like vaccinated and boosted and like a lot of, you know, not just like NBA players, but just people in general, their immune systems have adjusted to COVID. And so when they're coming back, it doesn't hit them as hard, you know, like they're coming back and they're dropping like 30. There are some guys who are doing that. So like, what's to stop CJ McCollum from doing that? You hope that he comes back and he's like out of rhythm because he hasn't played in so long, but does it even matter? I mean, you look at from Jose Alvarado to Herb Jones to they even have a uh, Trey Murphy, the third, like they're just and, and, and Dyson like, Daniel, Dyson Daniel, who by the way has been fantastic, had nine assists last night. I think he had like 14 points or something. He's looked really good. He's looked really good in a fun stat that I actually saw on Twitter earlier. I wish I remember who tweeted out so I could give them some credit, but right now he's 99th percentile in assist to usage in the NBA. Granted, it's a small, you know, sample size, but we know he can take care of the ball. We know that he can find guys. We know that he can get to the rim. Dame, he's also shooting above 40%. He's one of those seven guys shooting above 40% on most of them being standstill shots, but it doesn't matter. You can stand still and spot up when you have a guy like Zion Williamson coming down the lane and drawing in a bunch of defenders. So it's going to be a tough matchup. I hope that, you know, Keldon and, Devin are on the same page, and they're both you know playing well because I think that's your only chance is if those two guys are both playing well and unfortunately with how Keldon has played that hasn't happened in like the last two weeks so i don't, i don't know I don't know what you do
0: yeah they're gonna need they're gonna need a performance of you know of the ages from some of their best players, and I just don't know i don't see it I don't see it working man but who knows? We could be proven wrong. I mean, if the Spurs end up knocking knocking out the Pelicans, that'd be pretty impressive. That'd be you know that would kind of embody what the season's been a little bit. As although there's a lot of stuff kind of that's you know what kind of hurt this team both kind of on and off the court. They are a very gritty team. They do fight and they give max effort no matter who is in front of them. So a credit to them because they they come out and they give their best effort every single night.
1: Yeah, and honestly, for the sake of really like and I'm not really sure like everybody is always like aware that these guys have feelings right and that they they, like they're human beings like their mental health to a degree because this is their profession it's not just like a pickup game for you and me we could go to a gym lose like 111 in a pickup game and go home and be fine like this is their life this is their livelihood this is not like it's one of those odd things where a hobby for most people what would be a hobby for most people has now become your livelihood And they have lost nine games in a row. Most of them have not been close. And their last loss that we talked about, right, up 20 in the third quarter, and you end up losing by like six to a team with no Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was averaging like 31 points per game, responsible for nearly 50 points per game in total between his, you know, points and assists. It's debilitating. And you want to see this team have a reason to want to fight. So as much as we want to see them... You know, lose games, so to speak, to get better lottery odds. I don't necessarily want to see it come at the expense of them just losing confidence. You know, getting down on themselves, falling apart, not trusting each other, and again, like having that mental health suffer on the court. So yeah, you know, I hope they turn it around, but it's it's going to be a tough one, Dame. It's it's just going to be a tough game.
0: Yeah, man. Let's let's see what happens, man. And until next time, we got, we got a lot. We got a lot of moving pieces, man. In the month of December, <laughs> it's it's there's a lot of stuff we got going on. Both you and I, and yeah, man. Cheers to another great episode. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. I appreciate you. And as we wrap things up here, just go ahead. You know the drill. Plug anything you want. Tell people where they can find you. Find all your content. Let them know anything that you got going on.
0: Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at d a bartonic. That's at d a b a r t o n e k. I'll be a journalist for uh, a sports and news journalist for Fox West Texas out in San Angelo, starting on the nineteenth of December. Uh, So yeah, if you want to catch any you know Texas stuff, I'm working on doing some more national stuff for them as well. So we got a lot of endless possibilities here. Shout out to SB Nation uh, for opening the door for me there uh, and being you know great uh, resume uh, content that I've needed. Right, and uh, (laughs) shout out to Noah McGarrett, George. Shout out to everyone that's been listening. Uh, It's been a rough season, but it's okay. When Benyama is on the way.
1: <laughs> that, that should definitely be like a hashtag. I love that. Um, you can you can find me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O on Twitter. I'm doing film studies to get on my YouTube channel. Find me there. You can find my writing at Pounding the Rock. And uh, just keep your fingers crossed for me here. I have a second round of interviews with my San Antonio uh, for a position. So I'll keep you all updated on that. But, man, I just appreciate you coming out here. Congrats again on landing the job. I'm excited for you. I'm ready for you to get started. And again, thanks to every single person who joined us for this episode of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got an awesome staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So go ahead and check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.